encountering the texture of the text of God's Word, text and context. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, you can go ahead and turn there. We'll be there in just a moment. Uh, There is uh, a lot that I could say about the Gospel of Mark, as you very well know. I love the way our brother Mark tells the story of Jesus. In chapter 2 of Mark's Gospel, he's got this really interesting thing going on where he's got all these stories back to back to back to back to back. Uh, I think that's five. Back to back to back to back of stories with Jesus having controversies with the religious leaders of the day. And it culminates ultimately at the very end of these uh, uh, stories back to back. It ends with a very unlikely partnerhood between the Pharisees and the Herodians, two people who do not usually team up together, saying, okay, we've really got a problem with this guy. I think it's time we get him out of the way. And they make plans to kill Jesus. So as you hear that, the story that I want to focus in on today, and I know you're sad, we're not going to focus in on all five of those stories today. But the story I want to focus in on is the one in the dead center of all of that. It actually kind of forms these little, these little circles or maybe sandwiches around. And the dead center is this story. You've heard this one. It's the one about fasting and about old and new wineskins. So you've heard this one before. So it's in Mark chapter 2 and it starts in verse 18. Here's what it says. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Uh, why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, well, the wedding guests cannot fast while the bridegroom is with them, can they? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old cloak. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and so are the skins. But instead, one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. You know, this story isn't about fasting. You know that, right? It's not about fasting. It mentions fasting. It's not about fasting. It's not about wine. And it's not about clothing. It's about something else. In fact, why don't we start at the end and then work our way backwards? So let's start with that stuff about wine and clothing, because we know these passages. We've heard this before. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old cloak. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and the worst tear is made. That's pretty straightforward. But many of us don't really know what wineskins are. Wine these days comes in bottles. We don't put them in skins, so that's a little curious. Wine skins were, you would take an animal and you would put the wine in there. And as the wine fermented and became wine, it expands. And so then the skin stretches like animal skin does, like leather, you know, can stretch. It's the same concept. It would stretch. So then if you put more wine in that same skin and you filled it, well, what's it going to do? It's going to ferment and expand again, which then means that it's going to burst and then it won't be able to contain it. So... Like he says, you put new wine into new wineskins. You don't put new wine into old wineskins. It doesn't work. So also, I think it's important to appreciate that wine is meant to be what? Drink. Clothes are meant to be warm. They have a purpose, a function. 
Because if wine is not drunk and clothes are not worn, then they're useless. They're just sitting there. They have a purpose. Really, then, it's not about the wineskins or the clothes. It's really about what they're used for. Clothes are made for people to wear. Wineskins are made to hold wine. Clothes are made for people and not people for clothes. Wineskins are made for wine and not wine for wineskins. In the following story right here in verse 23 through 28, Jesus talks about the Sabbath. And he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's important getting that function the right way. Okay, so back to the first part about fasting. All this stuff about fasting. John's disciples fast. The Pharisees fast. Can't you hear the condescension in their voice? Well, we fast. Why don't you do it? It's interesting. The Pharisees uh, were told fasted about twice a week. Two times every week they fast. And it wasn't required except for once every year by the law. It was required once every year on the Day of Atonement of Yom Kippur, whenever they offer the, the offering for the entire people of Israel. That was the one day it was required. The rest of the time, you didn't have to, but of course you could. But the Pharisees, every week, two times. They got this down. The disciples of John, we don't know how much they fasted, but I mean, they're calling for repentance. And every time you call for repentance in the Old Testament, you fast. And so they're probably doing it quite a bit. And you can hear their frustration. Well, here we are starving ourselves. Don't you hear our bellies grumbling? And here's Jesus feasting and having a good time with his disciples. And then he says all that stuff about the bridegroom. Does that ever confuse anybody else? That's a... That's a a really unhelpful way of putting it um, because it's outdated. It's from the King James bridegroom. That's another way of saying the groom. (laughs) Why don't we just say groom, the husband at the wedding. Yeah, we know who the groom belongs to. We've been to weddings. Bridegroom, not a helpful way. It's the groom. The idea that the wedding guests cannot fast while the bridegroom is with them. No, no, no. This is the time for partying. It's the time for celebrating. After he's gone, after that's over, then we'll fast. In fact, it's actually considered rude and impolite at this time to fast during a festival. So if you're invited to a wedding, and even if you're a Pharisee and you fast twice a week, it would be considered rude for you to continue to fast while you're at the wedding. You need to to put that on the shelf and have a good time. Enjoy. You're celebrating, and, and you're honoring the couple by enjoying in the festivities. And so Jesus says, yeah. Um, this is the time to celebrate. Now, it's not always apparent what's the connection between fasting and clothes and wine. It's, it's kind of like Jesus is hopping around a little bit. But just hang with me for a moment. What would you probably wear if you went to a wedding? You'd have to be thoughtful about your attire, the clothes that you wear. You're probably not going to wear your old ratty work clothes. You're probably going to wear what? Newer, nicer clothes. In fact... If you're anything like my mother is, if you're anything like my grandmother is, every time there's a new festivity, which it's usually a while before there's a new wedding or something, what does she do? She goes out and she buys a new dress. She does not attempt to repair the old one. No, that would be a disaster. What does she do? She goes out, she buys a new dress or a new whatever is appropriate for the festivities. And then also, um, I mean, what are they going to serve at the wedding? They're going to serve wine, right? You remember Jesus went to the wedding in Cana and they ran out of wine. And Jesus' mom says, look, uh, I know it's not your time. I know, but I need you to make some wine because this party's starting to die down. 
And Jesus says, okay, I can help you with that. And Jesus makes the wine and he multiplies the wine. And then they say, well, usually they bring out the cheap stuff near the end. You've saved the best stuff for last. That always cracks me up. They're having a good time at the party. It's a time for, for feasting. It's a time for celebration. Last night we had the fall festival. Festival. It was a good time. This isn't the time where we're all walking around in our morning clothes. This isn't a time when we're all sad and mopey. No, people are laughing and having a good time. They say, you know what? I'll have another taco. It'll be fine. We'll work it off Monday morning at the exercise routine. It's a time to lean in and enjoy that time. Can you imagine God trying to do something among you and saying, "Eh, I'm not so sure. To lean out of it and say, no, we need to be more serious. You remember that psalm? God sits in the heavens and laughs. Sometimes I've heard it said that he's scoffing. No, I don't think so. I think our God is having a good time. He's enjoying the world that he made. Well, Jesus, we thought you would want to please God and want to be more serious about all this, but I guess we're just more holy than you are. The Pharisees, I mean, they're well respected in their day, right? You got to appreciate that the Pharisees were loved by the people. They really were. They were the people who, in the local synagogues, uh, were the leaders. They read the Torah. They interpreted the Torah for the people. And whenever the people had problems or needed advice, who did they go to? To these Pharisees. Because they loved the people. They were kind of like the local pastor at the little congregation out in the cornfield. And you go see your pastor. That's who they were. So you can imagine, here comes Jesus, and he's gaining all this popularity. All these people are like, have you heard about this Jesus guy? We've got to go see what he's doing. I heard he healed somebody. I heard he cast out a demon. And the Pharisees seem kind of less impressive now, don't they? <laughs> you can imagine some of the intimidation that they're feeling. The common people looked up to them, but then now Jesus' popularity is growing. Here's this hip, you know, young, new guy in town, and the Pharisees say, look, Jesus, that's not how we do things around here. You just got to understand. <clears throat> It's so easy to focus on the means to the end rather than the end to which it's going, right? The Pharisees, yes, they they loved the people, but also it seems they ended up loving the love of the people rather than the people. It seems like they ended up loving the things that they got to do when serving the Lord rather than serving the Lord. They focused on the means to the end rather than the end they were pointing. And Jesus is calling them back to that end that they're pointing. It's about God. And really it's about Jesus. I'm sure we've never seen this happen in the church, right? We never see the church focus on things that are beside the point. Oh, my word. Yes, we do. We do. And it's not just us. People have done it since the church started. I mean, you know, uh, I think we often forget Paul wrote letters, not because he's just like, you know what? I had an interesting thought. I'm going to write this down. He's writing it because those churches are all screwed up and messed up and they got problems. And he says, all right, look, let's try to sort this out in Jesus name. That's what all of Paul's letters are about. Almost all of them are written to the Corinthians who, whew, some guy's sleeping with his mother-in-law and they're hanging out at the temple with the, the pagans. And it's crazy. Every single one of the letters are written to address issues. Why? Because it's so easy to lose that focus on the things that really matter. And what really matters is Jesus. There's this author that I like. Her name is Phyllis Tickle. Yes, that's her name. Phyllis Tickle. And uh, she says that about every 500 years, the church seems to need to have a rummage sale. She says about every 500 years in church history, we get a little bit too much junk in the garage. 
some stuff that's kind of extra, but we've made it as if it's the main thing, and it's about time to clear some of the junk out. She said, so you sell all the stuff you don't really need, you keep the stuff that's absolutely essential, and you make room for, for growth, for buying more stuff, and hopefully not more junk, right? Well, you know, I think she's onto something, because if you look through church history, it is just about every 500 years that something else happens. You know, at about 500 A.D., that's the time when they're debating, so is Jesus God or is he man? And they're trying to write this out and articulate exactly how you say, well, yes, he's both. And it's about that time that they're having that debate. About the year 1000 is the time that the the Eastern and Western Church splits. So, you know, what we think of nowadays as Catholic Church and Eastern Orthodox Church, they split at that time. About 1500, give or take some, you have this little thing, you've probably heard of it, called the Reformation. The Protestant Reformation kind of rocked the world at the time. Old Martin Luther, John Calvin, and Zwingli are all calling for reform and for change. And then now here we are, 2000-ish, about another 500, give or take. I don't know if you feel like the world is rapidly changing and there are all sorts of new and crazy things going on right now. Of course you do. And maybe, just maybe, it's, it's about another 500 years. Maybe, just maybe, it's time to throw out some of the junk and get back to focusing on the main thing. Jesus. Um, You know, one of the slogans of the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, was the church reformed and always reforming. Reformed and always reforming. Continue to reform. Except uh, that's not usually how it works, is it? Usually we've reformed and we've got it right. And that's about it. (laughs) But the church reformed and always reforming. I like that. You know, I look at you guys. You guys have reformed a lot well before I got here. You guys have reformed a lot since I've been here. I mean, even just little things like moving the auditorium this way and not being in a little forgotten corner over here. And um, you guys have been through a lot well before I got here. And I admire that. You have reformed a lot. You've not only reformed the church from what it once was, I think you've continued to reform it. And I think a lot of what you've done really when I say that is you've said, what's really essential here? And you've left out some of the junk and you focused on Jesus. I think it's beautiful. Um, I think you've also been in survival mode for a while, haven't you? Um, and uh, I think you can do more than survive. I think you can thrive. I think there's a brighter future coming for all of us. I think we can do more than wineskins and old clothes that we have now. I think there's more wine and we can get some more wineskins too. The new cannot work inside of the old, and the old can't work inside of the new. Old ways of doing church sometimes have to be updated because they no longer speak to the current generation. And that doesn't mean selling out to popular culture. You know, people always think that means, let's just try to attract as many people as possible as fast as possible. No, we're not trying to market Jesus. That's terrible. This isn't the Mick drive through of discipleship. Please no. But it does mean that we do whatever we can short of sin in order to reach people with the gospel. Isn't that what it's about? anything short of sin in order to reach people with the gospel. Is it sinful? Don't do it. Is it not? Will it reach people? Go for it. Whatever it takes. Don't you remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9 about being all things to all people? Here's what he says, and I'm reading it in the message. Even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose-living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. Oh no, I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. 
I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. You know, because the word was made flesh, we have permission to make the word fresh for each generation. The word was made flesh in a very, very particular time and place. First century Palestine is about as particular as you can possibly get. And even more than that, the backwoods of Galilee, which is a nice way of saying the other side of the tracks. In that day, Jesus was born into a very particular world. The message of John 1.14 says the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. I like that. The word moved into the neighborhood. Jesus brought the message into the neighborhood. And it's that same Jesus that it's always been, but we're always living in very different neighborhoods today more than ever. Um, You know the statistics, don't you? You know the statistics. We hear them. We sometimes get defeated about them. The church is on the decline in America. Uh, the last I checked, uh, the Churches of Christ are closing three churches a month. That was the last statistic I checked. Um, maybe it's time to make it fresh for each new generation. It's not time to stick to what we've always known. Maybe it's time to try something different. If you keep getting chocolate on your recipe, change the recipe and see what happens. I mean, what are we expecting would happen? It's not time to do what we've always done. I think more than ever, it's Hail Mary time. And not so that we can become hip and cool and not so that we can be all really neat and and be really attractive to the young people. No, it's so that we can bring people to Jesus. It's time to stop worrying about winning politics and win men's souls. It's time to stop worrying about what others might think. And it's time to say, you know what? I don't care if I look ridiculous. They sure thought Jesus looked ridiculous. And he was the son of God. If I look ridiculous, but it wins people to the gospel, then hallelujah, let's do it. I want to look like a complete and utter moron if it brings people to Jesus because I'm going to do anything short of sin in order to reach people with the gospel. The key is this. It's not about wine. It's not about wineskins. It's not about clothes or patches. It's not about feasts. It's not even about weddings. It's about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. And we always refocus our attention on him. And you know what happens whenever people focus their attention on Jesus? God moves. Let's focus on King Jesus and his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And in fact, if we're going to take a risk on anything, let's take a risk on the kingdom of God. Because, I mean, hey, if we don't risk it on that, and if the kingdom of God isn't what matters, then what are we even doing here? But we're here because we love and serve King Jesus. I think there's a brighter future ahead for the church. I am, I am sick of hearing these uh, sidewalk prophets who decry the, oh, The end is near. The church is declining. Ah, The church is larger than it's ever been before. Capital C Church in the world is larger than it's ever been. It's growing faster than it's ever grown before, especially in places other than the Western world, um, because they're even more receptive to it in places where they don't have everything already. The church is stronger than it's ever been. And I believe the author of Hebrews, when he said, we have inherited a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So I'm not scared. I see a brighter future for the church. And let me tell you what I can foresee specifically here. There's a day coming soon when this fellowship hall converted auditorium is going to be bursting at the seams. We're going to move back in that big sanctuary and then we're going to outgrow the next one too. And we're going to grow, but that growth is going to be so much more than butts and pews. That's going to be hearts and lives changed in obedience to the gospel. People setting their hearts on Jesus, embodied gospel. There's a day coming soon when ladies will serve in every sphere of the church as they already do. I hope to have a female co-pastor one day. I think that'd be really cool. And I'll tell you, young girls are going to grow up in this church and they will never wonder, can I serve in the house of the Lord too? They'll know that they can. 
There's a day coming soon when this is going to be the place known as where people go to be loved. They'll say, hey, what's going on with that church over there? And they'll say, that's where you go to be loved. It'll be a place where all is welcome. It's not a cliche, but a mantra. And we will greet them not at the doors when they walk in. No, no, no. We'll be greeting them at the car door whenever they pull up. And we'll be opening their car door and saying, we're so glad you're here. We've been praying for you. Come on in. Let's worship the Lord together. It will be a place where we don't care what they look like, sound like, smell like, no matter what they think or do or say or don't say or who they vote for. It's going to be a place where prostitutes and drug addicts, homeless and mentally disabled, all the folk that Jesus hung out with are going to be welcome. And they'll never question, does God love me too? Because in our words and our worship, it will be abundantly clear that, yeah, God loves all of us. And the invitation is eternally open. Communion sitting at that table. The invitation's open. All are welcome at his table. There's a day coming soon when people are going to be worshiping together regardless of what they think about fill in the theological blank. Because people can hold radically different beliefs but be united by the most important thing, Jesus. Loving Jesus. You know, back in the restoration movement, Churches of Christ are a restoration movement. Way back when, we had a slogan that I really, really like and I hope we revive. They used to say, I have no creed but Christ. Christ is my creed. Do you love Jesus? Good. We can agree to disagree about basically everything else. Do you love Jesus? Yes. Okay. Your ideas on that other stuff are completely bonkers. But you love Jesus, so I love you, and that's good enough for me. Let's worship the Lord. And maybe just maybe in, in the back and forth, we grow closer together in love and knowledge and depth of insight. May this be a place where argument is not a bad word, where debate is not a bad word, but it's a very good word because it draws us into relationship and deeper love and understanding where iron sharpens iron and we refine our ideas. And regardless of whether we change our minds on anything or not, at least we're closer and at least we love the Lord more. There's a day coming soon when the voices of all God's people will be heard in the pulpit as we hold true to our heritage of taking the priesthood of all believers seriously, I would love to see a day when I only do 75%-ish of the preaching. And the other 25% of the time, we have what's called an open pulpit, where whatever the assigned text of that day is, you can come and preach that word, that all God's people are involved in the proclamation of the gospel. There's a day coming soon when church will be the word that we use to describe what happens Monday through Saturday in our daily lives and interactions. And Sunday is what we call training, where it's time to get ready and launch out. And we can finally proclaim what should have been true all along. The church has left the building. And we won't be afraid to get our hands dirty. And in fact, we may show up with dirty, muddy boots and tools in the truck bed. There's a day coming soon when worship and praise will be a faithful and expressive blend of the full gambit of Christian tradition all through the ages and contemporary expressions. A beautiful symphony of the image of God in each of us from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Artists will regularly be involved in helping paint with the colors of the new creation and showing us what can and will be very, very soon. There's a day coming soon when we're going to take the plunge and lean into what God can do if we let him have his way with us. We will not be afraid. We will become a kingdom church empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear witness to the Son, Jesus Christ, to the glory of God the Father. There's a day coming very soon, and it all starts with focusing on Jesus, the main thing that we're here for. Maybe it's time for some new wineskins. Amen. Amen.